Just a quick message before the episode gets underway. The Aurora Renewables Summit London is returning on the afternoon of Wednesday the 26th of June. Book your ticket now to hear from leading experts in the energy industry as they assess the opportunities and challenges within the UK and the wider European renewable sector. You will also benefit from unparalleled networking opportunities. We look forward to seeing you there. As we move towards a net zero world, there's an increased amount of electrification of heating, and this will increase these demand peaks and increase the need for forms of long duration storage to better redistribute this demand. That's the sort of most obvious function that's played by LDES in the energy system. But slightly less obvious, but equally as important, is the uh, function that long duration storage can play to alleviate uh, system constraints and grid constraints. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to the Energy Unplugged podcast. My name is Felix Chow Cambridge, and I'll be your host in this episode. Today's topic is long duration electricity storage. Aurora has recently published a paper on this topic, and this paper can be found on our website. With me today are, are the paper's authors. We have with us Emma Woodward and Caroline Still. Both Emma and Caroline are members of Aurora's commission projects team. Emma, Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Felix. Thanks very much, Felix. So first to start off with, um, Emma, I'd like to hear your, your, your thoughts on what exactly is long duration electricity storage, also known as LDES or LDES. Yeah, thanks, Felix. I think that's actually a great question because whilst people do um, tend to talk about different types of long duration electricity storage, uh, there's not really... Uh, an actual definition of this that's used widely across the, the industry. So if we first think about what we mean by electricity storage, we're essentially thinking about technologies that are able to, uh, to charge up uh, and store electricity for periods of time um, when it's needed more. So uh, charging when there is an excess of, of electricity generation, uh, storing the electricity and discharging um, during periods um, where there is a deficit of, of generation. Thinking specifically about what we mean by long duration storage, I think there's quite a number of different definitions that we could use to define this sort of separate to shorter term flexibility options. Um, but the most common definition uh, that is used, um, which was also used by Bayes, um, the Department of, of Business and Energy and Industrial Strategy, in a consultation that they released on the need for long duration storage last year, is defining it as any technology that's capable of storing electricity um, and discharging over a period of four hours or more. So any technology that's capable of, of storing energy and then providing this power over a continuous four hour period. Now, Bayes also choose to define it as technologies that are capable of providing more than 100 megawatts of power uh, in any given period. And this is a definition that we use, um, that we've based our definition here at Aurora off as well. Um, however, we like to think of it slightly differently. We're really thinking about what long duration storage is important for which is any technology really that's capable of providing power in periods where renewable generation uh, is not generating. 
So any periods where the intermittent wind power or intermittent solar is not generating because of weather conditions, we're thinking about storage technologies that are capable of acting in those periods. Um, now, we do see that in terms of a four hour uh, period, any technology that's capable of providing power for, for that duration um, is likely to be able to provide that sort of backup power that is needed. Really, this is longer than what most batteries uh, are capable of achieving today. Yeah, so so that interesting sort of the four hour distinction and in, in a sense, the the size of the, the storage um, isn't as relevant as long as you can add up many smaller um, storage technologies versus having a, a, a mega project um, that they, they can all store the, the four hour distinction. So, so you wrote batteries as, as, as um, one of these um, long duration electricity storage technologies. Can you describe a few other examples where, where they are actually included in this category? Yeah, sure. So when we're thinking in terms of existing technologies today, the most mature technology that we talk about uh, is pump storage hydro. Uh, now, there are pumped hydro storage projects that have been in existence since the 40s, since the 50s around the world. And it's a very established technology um, that has been providing this kind of backup power uh, and this flexibility to the system uh, for very long periods already. There are, however, lots of newer different types of technologies uh, that are under development or that are being introduced um, that are also really worth mentioning. They're all less established, uh, but could play quite an important part in our future energy system. So the first is batteries. Um, Lithium ion batteries um, are being rolled out. Um, however, typically uh, battery projects that are, that are being deployed today tend to be over durations of um, between half an hour to, to two hours. So they're not really capable yet of meeting that sort of four hour plus period, which we're using to define non-duration storage. But I think it is possible that going forward as battery technology improves, uh, that lithium ion batteries will be able to, to meet some of this need. I see. So we can't rule out lithium ion technolo uh, battery technologies. It's more that the, the current um, assets being deployed right now, that, that is lithium ion technology, doesn't meet that four hour distinction. Exactly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, there are a host of other technologies um, that are that are under development, all of different degrees of, of maturity. So some of the more mature ones that I think are more likely to be deployed on a commercial basis over the next uh, sort of five, 10 years are technologies like compressed air, uh, liquid air, vanadium flow batteries, all of which have had uh, pilot projects that have been deployed uh, and the technologies are, are proven to, to work, even if they haven't yet been uh, rolled out on a commercial basis. There's also lots of other technologies that are at a, a lesser state of technological readiness. And I'm thinking here like thermal storage options, such as molten salt, uh, things like gravitational energy storage, all of which are promising, but are still in more of a pilot phase um, and are, are probably not going to be deployed commercially um, sort of within the next five years. I also want to bring up hydrogen at this point. Hydrogen could potentially be a very useful form of energy storage, particularly on an interseasonal basis. But it's also still a, a lesser stage of, of technological readiness, certainly compared to things like pumped hydro storage or, or lithium ion. That's a really wide range of technologies. And, and, and I'm sure some of our listeners might not know exactly what these technologies are and how, and how they store, store electricity. Would you be able to describe some of how, how these work, Emma? I guess um, what I'm interested in is, is compressed air. It, it sounds 
quite interesting in how you can store electricity in, in, in compressed air. Or, or you also mentioned um, liquid air or, or vanadium flow. Uh, it would be useful if you can describe how, how some of these work. Sure, yeah. So if we're thinking about compressed air to begin with, here we use excess power, as the name suggests, to compress air and to store it underground. Now, at the time you want to release that energy, all you simply have to do is allow that air to expand through a turbine. And as the turbine spins, it produces electricity. Uh, liquid air is, is quite similar. Um, what it does here is it uses that surplus power to compress and cool air so that it's being stored in a liquid form. Hmm. At the time you want to produce the electricity, uh, you simply allow that air to evaporate and again to, to run through a turbine to produce electricity. Um, so both technologies are quite similar. It's just that degree of cooling that takes place within liquid air that differentiates the two. The other technologies that you've mentioned uh, were flow batteries. Uh, so this is more of a form of chemical storage. And here, similar to, to standard lithium-ion batteries, essentially electrolytes are stored in separate tanks. And, and when they meet, there's a chemical exchange that takes place that causes the battery to, to discharge, uh, releasing energy. Um, then, actually, um, I've got, got a question for you, Caroline. I, I know you've been looking into this topic um, a, a bit a bit more. So in terms of the, the LDES technologies, what sort of role can long-duration electricity storage play in an energy system? Uh, thanks, Felix. Um, yeah, so when I refer to long-duration electricity storage in this setting, I think LDES is a convenient acronym um, to describe it. Long duration storage, uh, as Emma has already alluded to, can help increase the penetration of renewables in the system as a whole. So I would say the primary and most obvious function of long duration electricity storage is the redistribution of generation to meet demand. So the supply uh, being ever more variable and intermittent as we increase the amount of renewables can be absorbed and redistributed to better meet the demand profile of when society is consuming that electricity. Now, this can happen in a, a shorter scale, so within a day, over a few hours, um, in a slightly longer scale, over a few days or uh, bigger chunks of hours, and um, over weeks uh, to match weather profiles and over months as well. So on the shorter scale, you're looking at um, redistributing uh electricity that's produced during the day, for example, solar to better meet demand peaks in the evening. And that can be met uh, to an extent by shorter duration technologies. However, if you look over several day periods, we're looking at alleviating weather patterns. So um, high wind periods that last several days, absorbing that and then redistributing that later on in when there's low wind periods. Um, and then as we get onto the, as we extend the timescale even further, we're looking at the sort of interseasonal fluctuation. So high uh, demand periods in the winter when there's extra heating demand uh, and redistributing that to, to lower demand periods. As we move towards a net zero world, there's an increased amount of electrification of uh, both he of heating, and this will increase these demand peaks and increase the need for uh, forms of long duration storage to better redistribute this demand. Um, that's the sort of most obvious function that's played by LDES in the energy system. But slightly less obvious, but equally as important, is the uh, function that long duration storage can play to alleviate uh, system constraints and grid constraints. 
So to better explain that, there's the sort of electricity supply and demand, which long duration storage can help with. But then there's also the constraints of the grid itself. So how the grid is structured, how it's built out, how much electricity it can transport from one side of the country to another at any point in time is limited by the physical infrastructure of the grid. And um, as we expand the amount of renewables being added to the grid all over the country, the grid is not necessarily being expanded or upgraded at the same pace. And this leads to what's called grid constraints, where you have a huge amount of generation in one area, but you can't get it to where the demand is quickly enough because the grid is not able to do that. Long duration storage is particularly useful in uh, cases like this, um, helping alleviate what we call thermal constraints, but essentially it's just grid constraints. Additionally, on a sort of more uh, granular scale, long duration storage can help manage the uh, fine tuning uh, electric properties of the grid. So the voltage, the frequency and the inertia, um, all sort of gray areas to the general public, but essentially very important to maintain those at specific levels so that you don't get grid blackouts. Um, as we reduce the amount of thermal generation, so gas and coal generation on the grid, these technologies are particularly good at maintaining things like inertia, voltage and frequency. And as we introduce more intermittent renewables, we have less security over maintaining these uh, specific qualities of the grid. Long duration storage is an alternative low carbon technology that can provide this kind of security to the grid um, and enable a rapid adoption of intermittent renewables without risking the security of supply to the nation as a whole. Thanks, Caroline. And, and it sounds like there's a, a whole range of different contributions that, that LDES can provide. And I guess the, the through line across all of this is in terms of decarbonization and, and the, the rise of renewables and, and the phasing out of, of fossil fuels, right? Because there's the, the balancing of, of, of the renewable energy. Lots of the constraints are due to the increase in, in wind and solar all around the, the energy system. So it's, it's really a, a valuable contribution towards a, a decarbonizing energy system. Back to you, Caroline, actually, um, in, in terms of now switching to the UK context, I know you've done some estimates on this. Uh, how, how much LDES do you think we need in the UK? Uh, it's a great question, Felix, and that was uh, one of the main sort of focus work streams of the study that we conducted. Um, if we take a look at the UK, keeping in mind that the government is aiming on reaching a net zero uh, emissions uh, power sector by 2035, that formed the basis of our analysis. So if we're, if we're aiming for that net zero world in 2035 in the power sector, um, how much long duration storage could potentially be added or what's the market availability of long duration storage. And we calculated that it uh, in a net zero world up to 46 gigawatts, um, which is a, a power strength or 57 terawatt hours, which is a total capacity of electricity storage is needed by 2035. And 24 gigawatts of this is uh, long duration specifically, so greater than four hours, uh, looping back to the definition that Emma highlighted earlier. Just to put that number in context, that's about eight times the existing capacity that we currently have in Great Britain of long duration storage specifically. Um, we also went so far as to look at 
how much of this capacity would be in the four to eight hour brackets, eight to 16 hour brackets, 16 to 48 hour brackets and 48 hours and above um, to really understand like what's the distribution of time needs that long duration storage can fulfill. Um, so it's quite interesting in this sort of net zero scenario, how much more long duration storage could be added onto the system and what role it would play in accelerating the adoption of renewables and alleviating sort of problems down the line for the grid that might occur from a high proportion of intermittent renewable generation. You, you estimate 24 gigawatts of LDES is needed for the UK and, and, and the context of sort of eight times the LDES that we have um, currently available in the UK. I mean, to put it into context, the UK right now has just over 100 gigawatts of capacity in, in the electricity system. So that's a substantial share of the, the overall UK capacity. Um, Caroline, is the 24 gigawatts, is that is that the maximum or is there, you think, room that we need more than 24 gigawatts of LDES? It's, a, it's an interesting question, Felix, especially considering, or especially in light of the current events at the moment. Um, and I think that question has two answers to it, or two parts to the answer, at least. Um, the one aspect is, I mentioned earlier about uh, sort of the constraints on the grid that long duration storage can help alleviate. And you can uh, argue that a more long duration storage could possibly be uh, needed to alleviate that sort of locational constraints of where the generation is originated and where the demand is needed. Um, so that sort of locational balancing, we like to call it, might lead to a higher proportion of long duration storage estimated. But additionally, if we take a look at the sort of current events at the moment, um, uh, the invasion of Ukraine and the high gas prices, our current net zero scenario still has a small proportion of gas generation, unabated or abated gas generation in the system by 2035 um, needed to help manage the, the constraints of the grid. So if we imagine long duration storage, more long duration storage being added onto the system in order to completely eliminate gas to provide more energy security to Great Britain as a whole um, and reach net zero at the same time, there is scope for uh, a greater amount of long duration storage being estimated. Uh, if the goal is not just net zero, but complete uh, fossil fuel independence as well. Um, that's not a question we completely explored in the study that we did in November and December, but uh, definitely highlights how important long duration storage could be in the current climate and over the next many years. Yeah, of course, with, um, with long duration actually storage, we've been focusing on the concept of, of net zero uh, carbon emissions, nets being some positive, some negative. But when we're talking about gas dependency, then that's, that is an interesting take where at, due to the current um, sort of situation in, in, in Ukraine and the fact that gas prices are, are hist historical high levels, there is that extra question as to how much dependency on gas we want as, as a country. And, and, and having LDES gives us an alternative um, and that's um, actually quite, that does lead me on to the next question I was hoping, Caroline, you can, you can answer is what, what sort of 
energy system implications uh, would LDES have? Are there any sort of pros and cons of having LDES in the energy system? Uh, yeah, an interesting question, Felix. So when we conducted the study, we did take a look at how LDES would impact our uh, understanding of the power market. So by incorporating it into our greater modeling for net zero, we tried to take a look at several key um, impacts. Um, I think it's worth probably mentioning three. So one is the impact on emissions. The second is the impact on costs. And the third would be the impact on gas demand, which we've kind of alluded to already. Um, so in terms of emissions, we uh, calculated that introducing long duration electricity storage into the system would actually result in a 10 megaton carbon dioxide drop in 2035. So 10 megatons in the year of 2035 of power sector emissions. Um, this is predominantly due to the sort of constraints of the grid being alleviated by long duration storage. So originally when you had too much generation in a specific area that of wooden generation, for example, that couldn't necessarily be transported to the area of demand, that generation would be curtailed and thermal generation, so gas generation, would be used closer to the area of demand. Long duration storage can help in, um, eliminate this, therefore reduce the emissions from that gas generation. Um, if we take a look at how that would affect gas demand rather than just emissions, we calculated a 50 terawatt hour thermal drop in gas demand in 2035. Uh, pretty significant as well, uh, due to the same sort of locational constraint reasoning. And then we took a look at the system costs as well, which uh, has a lot more granularity, but at a high level, we can see that introducing long duration storage into the system now and helping reduce the emissions and the gas demands and alleviate constraints and redistribute demand would actually reduce uh, total annual system costs by 1.13 billion pounds in 2035. So that's a 2.5% reduction, which translates to about a 26 pounds uh, per annum per energy household bill uh, reduction in 2035. So there's, there's a cost benefit as well to the system as a whole. So that's actually quite, quite a strong result, right? So introducing LDES into the energy system can, can reduce costs reduce emissions, reduce dependency on gas, help balance renewables. It seems like a, a very, very positive result. Um, so, you know, wh why don't we have more of this in, in, in the UK? I guess we, currently the UK has a few pump storage units and those were built perhaps a generation or two ago in the, in the 70s and 80s. And there hasn't been that many new developments, um, I guess, completed developments since. So, um, Emma, I'd like to hear your thoughts as to what, what, why, like, what, what do we need to, to get more elders online? Yeah, thanks, Felix. I think that is a good question. Because as Caroline has showed, there aren't numerous benefits to introducing elders, um, particularly in terms of its contribution to security of supply in the country, but also we think in the overall benefits could have to, to helping Britain reach its decarbonisation agenda and to minimising costs to consumers. The problem is with a lot of long duration storage assets is, is that there's multiple challenges to their deployment that they're facing. Um, and the combination of these challenges um, is really slowing their deployment. So the three main things uh, 
that I think um, has has slowed down uh, the rollout of, of new ODES projects is an uncertainty about how these projects would actually achieve revenues in the future. Um, most assets will be operating uh, within the wholesale market, but also through providing um, other system services. But really, the way that the current markets have been designed, they're not really fully rewarding storage technologies for the full value of the services that they can provide to the system. The grid has traditionally had many of these services been provided for free from traditional thermal technologies, which we know won't happen going forwards, but there aren't really the structures in place and the markets in place for rewarding the provision of, of market services. There's also quite a lot of uncertainty about how any future market reforms might actually impact revenue streams themselves. So if a market reform had the impact of reducing revenues that a project could receive from a particular revenue stream, uh, this can really scare away investors from wanting to uh, to invest in, in NELDES projects. There's also problems, though, with the fact that many uh, storage technologies, they are new technologies, they are less proven and, and more immature than other types of technologies that are on the system. And this tends to mean that they have much higher capital costs, which can increase challenges in funding, uh, but also they have very, very long lead times. It can take six to, to eight years to bring a pump storage project online, uh, which is, is a long time for, for any investor to be seeing a return um, on their money. But combining that with the uncertainty about future project revenues and, and the future market landscape, uh, does make it very, very difficult to raise and allocate the large capital sums uh, that are needed for these projects. Are, are there any technologies or, or projects in, in LDES that are commercially viable um, as we speak right now? Um, perhaps Caroline, you can enlighten us on this. Um, so as Emma's alluded to, uh, the sort of more advanced or uh, developed technologies currently available um, are closer to being commercially viable today. So predominantly pumped hydro storage being an advanced or established technology. Um, however, the sort of newer technologies, so compressed air, liquid air, sort of flow batteries, have much higher capex costs, and some of the services they provide to the grid are not necessarily monetized in their revenue streams yet, and so those would not be commercially viable. Viable, so definitely pumped hydro storage to an extent, depending on the location where they dispatch. Um, but yeah, more more is needed to be done to improve the margins that these long duration storage technologies can have access to. Okay. So, so perhaps a, a little bit sort of on the fence on, 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 as to, as to the, the commercial via viability. And, and this, this actually does lead to, to an interesting um, development coming out of the UK government, um, the UK government, um, they are thinking about some sort of support mechanism for, long duration electricity storage. Um, they, they've, they were consulting on the cap and floor mechanism. Um, Emma, um, perhaps you can help us explain what this cap and floor mechanism is and, and whether it's gonna work to bring on new long duration electricity storage. Sure, yeah. So the idea behind a cap and floor scheme um, is that essentially there would be a guarantee underwritten by consumers of energy of a revenue floor that would be achieved through non-duration storage technologies, which would essentially guarantee a minimum revenue on a, on a pound per kilowatt basis for any project 
that achieves one of these contracts. Um, so it's essentially say, uh, as these schemes were being put in place, uh, we would consider all of the revenues that could be available to an ODES project, and these would be underwritten with sort of a minimum price. And if in any given year, uh, revenues that a project achieved was below this floor price, uh, this difference would be um, made up by the system operator, presumably subject to some sort of minimum availability requirements. Now, the counter to this is that uh, there would also likely be a cap in place, which would essentially mean that in any given year, if the revenues that were achieved by a storage project were above this cap, um, these would then have to be any of those revenues would then have to be paid back to the system operator. So there's advantages and disadvantages to a scheme such as this. Um, it would likely accelerate long duration energy storage deployments um, because it would be providing um, sort of a, a guaranteed minimum rate of return, um, which would essentially uh, allow debt um, investors to, to put their money into these sort of projects. Um, it would also likely prevent uh, any significant market distortions and, and provide a lot of investor confidence in these projects. But it may not necessarily be enough to actually incentivize the most effective dispatch of long duration storage, um, because there wouldn't necessarily be anything within this contract um, that would incentivize the optimal dispatch that would be required to benefit the grid. Um, and, and the main area of concern here is actually how you would set the cap above which revenues would have to be paid back to the system um, because there would be a risk that any given project, if it achieved its revenue cap in a given year, might simply stop operating at this point, uh, particularly if there are additional costs to the project operating. So, for example, a battery technology uh, may suffer from increased degradation uh, the more the battery was to, to cycle to operate. Uh, and so there would be no incentive for an operator to continue to use the technology uh, if it wasn't, if the asset owner wasn't actually going to achieve any more of the benefits um, of the revenues that could be achieved. So there's modifications that could be made to the scheme, um, such as having uh, a flexible cap whereby above this revenues were shared between uh, the asset owner and the system operator, um, which would need to be considered quite carefully um, before any support mechanisms like this were, were to be rolled out. So, so essentially the cap and floor enables some sort of minimum revenue, but, but it also it, it, it takes away some of the, the upside in exchange for that, that minimum to stabilize the returns for, for investors. And, and from the UK environment, um, this, such a scheme has been very successful in bringing in interconnector projects. So, so perhaps this is one, one that could be replicated in the LDES um, sets of projects. Anything else that, that policymakers can, can do to enable LDES? You mentioned quite a few challenges earlier, Emma. Um, what, what do you think um, there might be other things that policymakers can do? So I think there are a lot of broader reforms to the electricity sector that, uh, that could take place. And, and policymakers do have a lot of additional levers that they could choose to use, um, which could contribute to the overall financeability of LDES projects. Uh, so the first of these is really thinking about how ancillary services are contracted. So at the moment, ancillary services tend to be contracted as separate services over a short term basis. Um, but this sort of segregated nature of, of grid service contracting may mean that assets don't actually provide all of the services they could. 
um, if they don't manage to procure contracts for all of these different services. It also increases the risk um, that asset owners have when they're thinking about deploying technologies because they have to think about the risk of each revenue stream separately. So an alternative system could see these sorts of services being bundled together, um, maximising the benefits that any one technology is able to provide to the system um, and, and also maximising investor confidence that they could actually achieve revenues through these services. There's also the idea that network charging signals don't necessarily incentivize storage or network build out. That locational signals at the moment don't necessarily incentivize storage to build in the right places to provide services to the grid, um, which may not be appropriate going forward. I think there's also a question about reforms to the capacity market that could take place. Uh, we've talked a bit about consultations that Bayes has uh, done, thinking about long duration storage in particular. Uh, but there have been a whole host of other reforms that are under consideration at the moment. And, and the capacity market is a major one. Uh, at the moment, as things stand at the moment, uh, there's going to be legacy issues towards the net zero target of, of 2035, where subsidies are still being provided to thermal um, assets, which are carbon emitters, um, which are going to be operating as things stand at the moment past that, that net zero target. So one idea could be to split the capacity market into two separate phases for low and, and high carbon assets, uh, providing revenue streams um, for technologies which are able to provide security of supply to the system, uh, but without being, being carbon generators. Uh, capacity market prices could likely be higher uh, for lower carbon assets in, in this scenario um, and would provide a valuable revenue stream that could still be considered within the, the the realm of a, of a cap and floor mechanism. Um, so I think they're sort of some of the main reforms that we'd maybe want to want to be thinking about. Um, I think the final thing that I would say that policymakers do need to consider, though, as, as they're thinking about what sort of support should be provided to technologies is, is this idea that um, direct subsidies could push out other technologies. Um, and any effect like this should be considered uh, thinking about the operability of the grid overall uh, and the total system cost to consumers. So not thinking about the support that's being provided to any one technology in isolation, uh, but really making sure that as any new policy is being introduced, uh, that we're really considering how this, this impacts the system and the system operat operability as a whole. Great. Thank you, Emma. So a, a whole host of policy ideas to, to help enable LDES and, and, and bring with it all the good stuff that, that Caroline mentioned earlier. So that, that was a, a wonderful introduction to, to long duration electricity storage. Um, we should probably wrap up here. Our guests today were Emma Woodward and Caroline Still. A reminder that the full Aurora report on long duration electricity storage in GB can be found on Aurora's website. Emma, thank you for joining Energy Unplugged. Uh, thank you for having me. And also you, Caroline. Thank you. No problem, Felix. Thanks for having me too. That was Felix Chow-Cambich, Head of Commissioned Projects Western Europe at Aurora, talking to Emma Woodward, Senior Associate at Aurora, and Caroline Still, Associate at Aurora. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.